Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Uh, the title of this message is Identity Christianity, and uh, if a person identifies with aspects of Christianity, uh, that doesn't make them a Christian. Uh, if a person has a heritage of Christianity, that doesn't make them a Christian. If a person has values and they have ideologies that line up with Christianity, that does not make them a Christian. So when we live in a culture where identity is really kind of a key phrase, it's a key word, and in our culture, identity is very fluid, uh, where it comes, uh, when you look at things through the, the eyes of the Bible or God's Word, um, especially, let's say, in the area of gender, uh, gender is very static in God's eyes, but yet in this world, it's very fluid. So give you an example. For example, anyone could choose to identify as the opposite sex, and you could be recognized by the gender of your choosing. But the Bible is static. For example, Genesis 1-7, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God creates us male and female, not either or. Very clear terms throughout the Bible. Listen to what God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5, before, look at that word, before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I for, before I formed you, before you came to be, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations prior uh, to our conception. God has a plan and a purpose for your life prior to conception. He knows you. He has plans for us to fulfill, and part of that plan is our identity. He knows whether we're going to be male or female. It's just not random choice or random selection. God determines that gender. Give you an example. The person who we identify as Caitlyn Jenner is not Caitlyn Jenner, right? It's Bruce Jenner. And for those of you who are old enough like me, you remember him about 19, well, the 76 Olympics is when he became popular, right? He won the, the gold into the decathlon then. But in 1978, he was like at the height of his fame. He was on all the Wheaties boxes. But uh, he no longer identifies as a male. He identifies as a female. But here's, the, here's what I'm saying. It's static no matter what. No matter what he does to make himself more feminine, his DNA will never change. It'll never change. You can't change who God's created you to be. He will always be a male no matter what. No matter what he has trimmed, tucked, doesn't matter, okay? He is still going to be a male. So identity by the world standard, this is not a, me a message about sexuality or gender, by the way, just an example of how we look at, at gender and identity as a, very, as a very fluid matter, but yet it's very static throughout the Word of God. So identity is a matter in our culture of preference. If we prefer to identify as someone or, quite frankly, as something, we honor that in our culture today. It's your prerogative. Earlier this year, I preached a, a series called God's Masterpiece, and I referenced this verse from Jeremiah. Just pay careful attention for, to it. Uh, Jeremiah 18, verse 2 through 6. Arise and go to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. In the, potter, in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? 
says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So according to the Bible, God creates man from the clay of this earth, and that clay that is marred by sin. That, that clay is so marred by sin uh, that it goes an alternate route, an alternate version of what God intended. God had shaped it. God had fashioned that, that clay for a reason. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have been marred by sin. We have all have a sin nature, and that sin nature does what it wants to do no matter what God wants to do, or no matter what God has said. It, we have our own will. And often, when it comes to especially the area of salvation, before we experience redemption or new birth, we do what we want to do. So where does this end for mankind if we continue down this path? If we continue to go down this path opposite or separate from God's plans and purposes, where does it end? And Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to what? Death, right? Death. And death separates us from God, and death separates us from God's purposes. So if we choose to live the life we want to live rather than the life Jesus redeems us to live, it will drive us further and further away from God till we come to this place where it's eternal separation. This is why we need a Savior, and this is why we need to experience salvation. God gives us this wonderful opportunity to experience redemption. And redemption is a theme that you'll find throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's a running, continual theme, redemption. So we experience redemption when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God, what does he do? He puts us back onto the potter's wheel. He begins to reshape us, remold us, the power of the Holy Spirit doing so, into the vessel that he intended us to be. But hear me, Jesus did not redeem us to live the life we want to live and still go to heaven. Jesus did not redeem us, save us from our sin, to do this, so that we can live the life we want to live and still go to heaven. See, salvation is not fire insurance. God did not send his son into this world to give his life as a ransom so that we can live our life on our terms rather than God's terms. It doesn't work that way. And friends, that's Christianity 101. And yet, this is such a foreign concept in many churches today. I don't understand. Redemption is a theme that you find throughout the word of God. It means to be bought back, to be purchased back. So Matthew 16, 24 says this, when people come to Jesus, they want to follow him, here are his words. He told this to his disciples, if anyone would like to come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In those days, whenever you saw someone bearing their cross, this is what you knew for sure about that person. They weren't coming back alive. When they bore their cross, there was an imminent death. Death was going to take place. So when you bore your cross, it meant death to self. It meant death to the body. And that's what happens when we come to Christ. It's death to self. We, we, can, we can identify with this all day long. Or we can simply make this decision, make this choice that we are a follower of Christ and we bear our own cross. We die to self. In order to truly identify with the cross, you must embrace the cross. So in order to follow Jesus, we must die to self. Again, that's just Christianity 101, but I think it gets lost in the terminology. And sometimes we, we make the gospel, gospel so palatable that we don't want anyone to refuse. But in doing so, we also water it down to the place where all you got to do is just believe, have it up here. 
Just have it right up here, and that's it. A mental conception of Jesus is all it is. But look, Galatians 2.20 is very clear. I have been crucified with Christ, and here is the result. It is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Identifying with Christianity or certain aspects of Christianity doesn't make anyone a Christian. You can come to Jesus and you can say this, get me out of this jam and I'll serve you, but that never works. Those, those are, that's coming to, to terms or coming to Christ on the wrong terms. If you'll save me, if you'll get me out of this jam, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. It doesn't work that way. It never works that way. See, this is the only option that we have when we come to Christ. I'm a sinner, and I must be saved. And if I'm not saved, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to eternally perish. The life I'm living isn't worth going to hell for. So therefore, I surrender my life to you. See, we have to come to God on his terms rather than our own terms. To follow Christ, there must be our commitment. There must be a commitment. There must be a faith declaration. Otherwise, it's just word service. We're just identifying with the ideology of Christianity rather than becoming a Christian ourselves. So are you a Christian or are you identifying as a Christian? That's the question I want you to think about here this morning. So how do you live life in view of this verse? Because this verse, if you will take this verse and really think about how we live according to this verse, it'll tell you everything you need to know. That question I just asked you, are you a Christian or are you simply identifying as a Christian? How you respond to this verse will tell you all you need to know. And here's the good news. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell anyone else. This is just simply between you and God. But here's the verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Again, it's a redemptive verse. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Look at this, these words. You are not your own. Goes on. For you were bought at a price. Purchase, repurchase, purchase from your sin with the blood of Jesus, with his life. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to God. See, you, as a Christian, you either belong to him or you don't belong to him. Well, I, I, most of me belongs to him. No, nope. you have to be all in. It's not just some, it's all. See, otherwise, if it's not all, we're just simply identifying with Christianity. Is Jesus the co-pilot of your life or is he the pilot? You remember those, those bumper stickers and those uh, license plates? You used to see them if you're older. You, uh, some of you, may, maybe some of you remember because you just saw them on old cars, but... There, were, there was a time that was very popular, God is my co-pilot, right? <clears throat> well, if he's your co-pilot, you're in trouble, because that's not salvation. See, Jesus can't be your co-pilot, he must be the pilot. Can't be the co Here's what happens in human nature. If we make him the co-pilot, you know what we do to him? We grab him up, we grab him out of the seat, and we go put him in the back. I'm flying the plane. That's the way it is. That's human nature. If he's not the pilot, He'll become a passenger. So you are flying the plane, and you are comfortable doing so because Jesus is on board. But that doesn't work for him because he must be the pilot. He must be the one in charge. He is, is Savior, and he is Lord. So did Jesus purchase you with his blood, or did you just do this, give him limited access to the areas that you wanted him to have, or did you fully give yourself to him? See, that will never work if we just partially give ourselves to him 
and we hold something back for ourselves. Listen carefully to these words again. I'm going to repeat this verse, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These verses, when we look at it in our lives, tells us everything if we're identifying with Christianity or that we are a Christian. So have you been crucified with Christ? See, a lot of us say yes. Okay, here's another question. Are you being crucified with Christ? And do you have plans to stay committed and continue to be crucified with Christ? See, faith is a commitment. It's not a religious identification. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been also resurrected with Christ. If you've been crucified with Christ, you've been resurrected with Christ as well. And you have new life. The same Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And he gives life to your mortal body to live the Christian life, to empowers you to live the life of Christ. If you try to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit, it is dead. It is miserable. It never ends well. It's unfulfilling. It's very rigid. But when you live life full of the Holy Spirit, it's an incredible journey. Is it a perfect journey? No, it's not. Is it a problem-free journey? No, it's not. But it's this. It's a fulfilling life, and you know this, that God is not only for you, he is with you, he is in you. He dwells in you. If you try to live the Christian life motivated by duty, by obligation, by habit, or tradition, Christianity will never seem fulfilling. It will always be something missing. There will be something missing in that part of your life. And as a result, because it's missing and it's not fulfilling, you'll never fully commit. And the pattern just continues. I have breakfast every Thursday with five to seven of my pastor friends, and we've been doing this for about seven years. And uh, we meet for fellowship. We meet for accountability. Thursday, I asked this question. We're talking about Easter and different things, just just what's going on in life. And I just asked this question just in preparation for this, this message. I said, what if this happened? After you preach Sunday morning, let's say you preach the most incredible message you've ever preached. And you gave the altar call, and it was an altar call for salvation. And half your church stood up, came to the altar, gave their lives to Jesus. Would you be shocked by that number of people responding to a call to salvation? And every one of them acknowledged the same thing. They wouldn't be surprised if half the people in their congregation actually got saved. I don't say this to shame us. I don't say this to be mean-spirited. I say this with great concern. I don't believe half of the people who attend our church are saved. I just don't. And there's a reason for that. I think most of us identify with Christianity but identifying with Christianity doesn't make you a Christian. Let me just kind of give some background here for just a moment. We're in Assemblies of God Church, correct? Last time I checked, we're in Assemblies of God Church. I'm an ordained Assembly of God minister. We belong, belong to the West Florida Network of the Assemblies of God. All right? Uh, we're part of this fellowship called the Assemblies of God. Cohesively, from pastor to the, to the Assemblies of God, as a, a, a fellowship, uh, we do not support a view of eternal security, okay? Now, we believe eternal security is in Christ and an ongoing relationship, but we don't believe a person can 
make a faith decision at one point in their life and then that they cannot forfeit their salvation at some point. We just don't believe it. We believe in free will. So anyways, if that doesn't agree with you, I understand, but that's who we are, and that's never going to change, right? That's who the assemblies of God are. Um, so that's just my perspective I'm going to come from from here on out. So while we don't believe a person can, can lose their watch so haphazardly, we, we believe that salvation is something that we can willfully forfeit. So we, can't, we don't believe someone can just take our salvation from us. We don't believe it's so willy-nilly that we're saved one day, we're lost the next day. We don't believe that. I know that some people that, that don't believe that way feel that's how we feel, but that's, that's not true. We believe a person who is genuinely born again can turn away from Christ and become lost. You say, what does this have to do with identity? Just hang out with me for just a second. Let me just look, review a couple verses for you. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, now the Spirit expressly says, in the latter times, what? Some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. In order to depart from the faith, you have to have been part of the faith. Okay? So you can willfully depart from the faith. Give you another verse. Ephesians 5.4, you have become estranged divorced, severed from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Paul was writing this not to unbelievers. He's writing this to believers who tried to do this. I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to live under grace. But I'm, going to, I'm going to try to work the law back in. I'm going to try to, to do both. And he says that will never work. You are estranged from Christ. You are, you are fallen from grace. You can't do that. If you remain in that position, you will re remain eternally estranged from Christ. I'll give you another example, 1 Timothy 1, 19. Having, good, having faith and good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, suffered shipwrecked, of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, which are not unbelievers, by the way, they are believers, whom I have delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Hymenius and Alexander were believers whose faith suffered shipwrecked. Again, some people say, well, you view this as, as, as someone's God, Pentecostals, you believe people saved, they can't ever be saved again. That's not what we're saying. We're saying this. You get shipwrecked in your faith. You stay marooned. You stay in the place that's not your destination. You will be eternally separated from God. But you can get back on track. You can get back to your destination. The choice is you. Will you repent? Will you recommit yourself to Christ? Will you get back on course? A person who has been born again can choose to return to a life of sin. Now, if a born-again person turns away from God and does not repent, they will find themselves eternally separated from God. So if you are a Christian, it doesn't mean you'll always be a Christian. If you identify as a Christian, it doesn't mean that you are a Christian. Are you following me? So listen, if we don't believe in once saved, always saved, then why would we believe in once a Christian, always a Christian? The two does not compute, see? But it doesn't work. By the way... When we think about unfollowing Jesus, because that's essentially, essentially what takes place, what we're talking about, it's not like you get up one morning and you see a post on Facebook, you don't like what someone posts, so you unfollow them. Anybody ever done that before? No, don't raise your hand. We don't unfollow Jesus so quickly and so easy. I haven't met a person yet who abruptly departs from the faith and unfollows Jesus. But I have seen this. Usually, the falling away is very slow, 
it takes place over time. And some of us aren't where, uh, aren't where we are in our relationship with, with Christ uh, because of, of whatever reasons, but we have simply have just drifted away. Sometimes we start resting on our religious laurels rather than our faith commitment. I'll give you an example, the parable of the prodigal son. One of the most beautiful parables in Scripture. But yet it is a story of salvation and a story of someone backsliding and someone coming to repentance. The parable of the prodigal son comes to mind when I think of this, that when we're in a place where we ought not to be. Prodigal son wanted his inheritance. He wants to spend it all. Father obliges his request, gives his son all his inheritance. What does he do? He goes off to a foreign country, and he spends it in riotous living, his inheritance. So what does he do? He becomes destitute. He comes to a place where he has nothing. He's in a foreign nation, and he's living in squalor. He's living in, in this isolation. He finally comes to his place like, you know what? It would be better for me to return to my father and at least work as a hired hand. I've known I've blown my inheritance. I've blown everything he gives me. I mean, at least he'll accept me as a hired servant. Maybe not as a son, but maybe as a servant. Of course, we know the story. The son returns, and what does the father do? It doesn't mean that he gives him all the money back. He just accepts him back as his son, right? Listen, you're not a servant. You're my son. You know, this son that I thought was dead has come back alive. What, what is that story? That story is someone who was a son who has departed from the family who has come back. You can walk away from your relationship with God. But good news God welcomes you back if you just come back. Just come back. Just recommit yourself. Give your life to him. It's an open door. It's all water under the bridge. Father greets him with joy, restores his son. Now, if that's not a picture of getting off track and back on track, I don't know what is. The fact is, Christians can and do get off track. They get off course. Let me give you an example. If I became an alcoholic... If I began started having extramarital affairs and I started stealing money from the church, wouldn't you question my salvation? You should. You should. The fact, the evidence is before you. The fruit, you'll know them by their fruit, should cause you to question this. You, you don't have to question whether I was saved or if I'm saved. It's just that I'm demonstrating a life that is not consistent with the Christian. It's a good indication. And I hope you would come to that conclusion. A person can fall away from Christ, but it usually isn't so abrupt. It's usually subtle. I don't know how or when a person falls away from Christ, but I can tell you this. At some point, it becomes very apparent that they have fallen away. And if you don't change course, you are heading down a dangerous, dangerous path. So what does all this have to do with identity? So this is the verse I really want to get to. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Not everyone who says Jesus is Lord is a Christian. Not everyone who identifies as a Christian is a Christian. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized. It doesn't matter how many times you've, you've done whatever. 
It really comes down to this. Have you made a full commitment to Christ? A faith commitment to him? Unfortunately, people who have been raised in, in the church who have a Christian heritage, they are the hardest, the hardest to convince that they are off track or that they've never, maybe they've never been on track in the first place. They are the hardest to convince. It's almost like speaking to a wall. But I'm a Christian. I believe. I believe the Bible. I believe God's Word. I believe this and that. But you live your life like hell. How can that be? How can that truly? I'm not talking about perfection because there's no way. But you'll know them by your, their fruit, spiritual or flesh. You know, there's a big difference between someone who is struggling and serving Jesus than someone who has turned from him. But again, are resting on their religious laurels in hope that what they did back there will get them into heaven. That is dangerous, dangerous stuff to mess with. And yet it is prevalent. It is just prevalent in our community because we're just so religious with heritage. heritage it's, just, it's frustrating as a pastor. There are many people in our community, some who attend our church and attend other churches, who identify as a Christian, but they aren't. You know, Jesus is addressing people like this. Not everyone who says to be Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. They're convinced that Jesus is speaking about someone else. They believe in some of the same things that Christians believe, but it doesn't mean they're a Christian. Some of us can't imagine ourselves not being a Christian. Why? Because of our heritage, because of our, our religious foundation. We can't imagine being in jeopardy because we believe in Jesus. We believe in the Bible. We, we attend church every once in a while. But even if you attend every week, it doesn't make you a Christian. Our past confession has no real impact on our lives today. And if we ignore our spiritual trajectory, that is danger. Danger. You can see this is an identity Christianity. People identify as Christian based on what they've done rather than who they are now as well. And also, who are they committed to from here on out? How they are determined to live their lives from this point forward. See, our relationship with God is not something that we just did. It is ongoing. It's living. Last week, I spoke to you about the difference between believing and faith. But we get this all messed up. If belief was faith and faith was belief, we would just call it one or the other, but they're not the same. We are saved by grace through faith, through faith. Faith connects us to the grace of God. Belief is a component, a part of faith, but it isn't faith. Faith brings us to the place of commitment, always. You can believe all you want all day long, but you don't have to commit with belief. But you have to commit with faith. So let's say you generally came to Christ by faith at some point in your lives. At some point you came to him and this was your conclusion. The way that you were living was not the right way and you were going to hell. And you needed to be rescued. You needed a savior. You were a sinner who have sinned and your fate was hell. Jesus, come save me. Come rescue me. You repented of your sins. You placed your faith in Jesus. What should have happened exactly at that moment is this. You should have been born again. So this is the place where I think that we need to really spend time, and that's why I continually go over this, because I understand that serving God is more than a feeling. I understand that it's, not, it's more than emotion, but can I tell you this? If someone comes inside of you and lives in you and changes you, shouldn't you know when that takes place? Shouldn't you know when you became a new person in Christ? 
You should. The polarity of your heart has changed. The direction of your thinking has changed. Is it perfect? No, but it has changed. Something's changed in you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Why, do, why don't we just spend time on this? And just say, Man, I noticed you gave your life to Jesus, but what have you experienced since then? I don't know. Feel the same. Think the same. Talk the same. Come to the church now. Those should be red flags. But we don't take the time to address them. Because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But may I remind you that Christianity, church, is not a club. If we're worried about offending people, then listen, let's just throw the Bible out the door. Because you're going to preach the Bible with truth and love, and you're going to offend people. You're going to offend people. You're not trying to be mean and nasty. That's, that's, th there's a difference between presenting the Word of God in truth and love and just being mean and nasty. You know, you, some of y'all that are older know what I'm talking about. When we used to preach on hell, some pastors would preach on hell and just with glee, right? You're going to hell. I just love it that you're going to hell, too. Almost like getting glee out of someone who is going to bust hell wide when they eternally perish. How, how can you get any joy out of that? But yet there are people that are like that. We don't preach that way. That's not the way we should preach, ever. See, prior to new birth, you were drawn to do the wrong, wrong thing. You were, you were prone to live life on your terms. However, after new birth, after you repented of your sin, you should have changed. Your mind, your heart, direction changed. And the life that you live is now by faith. It's commitment to the Son of God. As a result of learning about Jesus' love and his sacrifice for you, you're not compelled to do those things out of duty. You're compelled out of love. You, you come to realize that Jesus gave his life for me. He saved me. He came to rescue me. I, I mean, what, what do I have to do? Nothing. But I want to do everything I can to serve him. See, that should be the result of new birth. If you never got to this place, then maybe you're just identifying with Christ rather than being a Christian. You need to make a decision today. Make a commitment. Your relationship with Jesus is much like a marriage. You know what you call a marriage where one person is 100% committed and the other person is 50% committed? You know what you call that? Divorce. That's divorce. That's going to happen. It doesn't work that way. You cannot have someone 100% committed and someone who's only 50% committed. Well, he's a good provider, works hard, provides for our family, is a good father, just sleeps around with ladies. That won't fly. That won't fly. Your marriage is a lot like your relationship with Christ. Jesus is fully committed to you. Fully committed to you. There's no denying that he's fully committed. He's laid it all out for you. How committed are we to him? What, what does your faith, what does your faith, what does it compel you to do? Are you committed to him? I shared this verse earlier from Matthew's gospel. I'm going to share it again. It's from Luke's, Luke's gospel. Just to kind of give it some, just let it land again. Just let it land for a little bit. Luke 9, verse 23, then he said, to them all, to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Again, I'm just going to say this. There's no war life worth going to hell for. 
There's no life we're living that's worth going to hell for. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is to a man to, if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? See, we can't identify with that verse as a, as a Christian and we have problems. It's not symbolic. It's a commitment. Again, when you get married, you make a vow to your spouse to commit yourself fully to that person, and you're going to do so by following through with that commitment. Why would you, our commitment to Christ be any less? It is the most important relationship that we have. Not everyone who says Jesus is Lord is a true believer. Not everyone who does the work of the ministry behind pulpits preaching are believers. Believe it or not, I know that's hard for us. Not everyone who believes in Jesus is a Christian. Many are Christians in name. They identify as Christians. They are practicers of cultural Christianity. Let me just highlight a few of these because, you know what? This might help us to kind of identify what I'm talking about. Here are some examples of cultural Christianity. Um, Country club Christians. Now, we as Pentecostals, we think this. That's a church void of the Holy Spirit. That's not it, by the way. Because you can have the Holy Spirit moving in your church and you can still have country club Christians. Here's what country club Christians really are. They are self-focused rather than missional. They come to church mostly as spectators. Holiday Christians, they celebrate Christian holidays sentimentally. But the implication of these holidays have little impact on their daily life. God and country Christians... They're proud to be Americans, but digest everything first as an American or a member of a certain political party. The lines between God and country are blurred. Here, let me give you a better view of it. They're Fox News Christians. I watch Fox News, but they're Fox News Christians. And it don't take you long to watch Fox News say, that person is identifying with Christ, but they're not a Christian. I, I can just tell already. Social justice Christians. Feel strongly about specific social justice. These are usually liberals. They will compromise biblical teaching in light of cultural whims. They believe the politicians and legislations can fix the world, that God's placed those entities to fix the world. The good guy Christian. We all know the good guy Christian. Believes God wants people to be good and to be kind to each other. They, they are, quote, a good person. But we know this. There are no good people. All of us are sinners. And Jesus is more of a mascot than he is Lord. While the specifics of Christianity aren't really relevant to them. They embrace ideologies, but the basics of Christianity really aren't part of their daily lives. Generational Christians. Generational, they're Christians as heritage. Their, their heritage carries significance in their lives. In fact, they might have been raised or they may have been influenced by someone who was a Christian and whatever their their genre of Christianity was, it, now they are that thing. Give an example. I'm going to pick on Baptists, all right? There's no problem. You can, you can assert any uh, denomination here. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'm a Baptist, even though I don't go to a Baptist church, because my grandparents were Baptists and my dad's a Baptist, so I'm a Baptist. If that's your identification with Christ or your heritage, you were born a Christian. You were born a sinner. Cultural Christianity. Mainline Protestants were Protestants. Baptists, Pentecostals, Methodists, you know, we're, we're Protestants. Generally believe vague things about the Bible, but are prone to discard them in favor of pressing beliefs of the day. I believe the, I believe the Bible, I believe the Bible. 
Ooh, I gotta, I gotta do this. Nope, it doesn't work there, does it? It's not expedient for them. It doesn't work. So they're prone to discard them in favor of pressing beliefs. They proclaim God's love in terms of a license to seek comfort. Casual Christianity is another word for it, or, or consumer Christianity. I'm going to take this off the shelf, this off the shelf, this off the shelf, everything else, I'm just going to leave. Bible Belt Christians display external forms of religiosity, but in actuality, Jesus has little impact on their lives. They talk a good talk, but they don't walk a good walk. Now, have some of these hopefully have created an image in your own mind? People you know? Maybe you are the person. There are people in our community who identify as Christian, but they aren't Christians. It doesn't mean they're nasty, evil people. They attend churches all over our community. Some attend our church. Some of these people have never truly been on the right course, never truly been born again. Forms of religion, but never have had a heart change themselves. Some have been this way. They, they got on course, but they got off course somewhere. Some have never experienced new birth. Some have. For those who have never experienced new birth, again, the Christian life seems this way. It seems lifeless. Sometimes it's a hassle. The Christian life is a hassle. If the Christian life is a hassle to you, <laughs> please take, take note of that. If the Christian life becomes a hassle because it interferes the way you want to live life, that's probably a good indication something's wrong. Going to church, hearing messages like this, they, these aren't inspiring. Some of you, it's, this is inspiring. To some of you, this is an irritant. May I, may I just plead, let me plead with you, if this is a bit of an irritant to you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and he loves you. He loves you greatly, dearly. Some of us were on the right course, but whatever happened, we got off course. Please hear these words. Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not say these words? Did we not say this prayer? Did we not sign our name? Did we not shake the preacher's hand? Were we not baptized? Did we teach Sunday school class? But somewhere between here and there, you've gotten off course. And here's the bad news. If you don't get on the right course, you're going to go in the wrong direction. But if you get on the right track, which you can, the door is wide open. Jesus welcomes you. Get back on track. So did you fully commit to Jesus when he became your Savior and Lord? Or did you simply identify with certain aspects of Christianity, but never fully surrendered your life to Jesus? You went through all the religious motions, but you never fully committed your life to Jesus. Until you come to this place of full commitment and dedication to Christ, you're only identifying it with Christ. And I want to challenge you to do this. Become a Christian. Become a follower of Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Exchange this life for the life he wants to give you. This life that he wants to give you ends in eternal life. The life that you want to live that you're not un unwilling or just refuse to give is going to lead you down a path of death and separation from God. So it's now time for you to give your life to Jesus. Live the life he created you to live. Some of you are Christians, but you're just not fully committed. And to be completely honest, if you aren't where you ought to be, that's a bad place to be. So it's time to get back on track. It's time to get back to the place where you need to be, because here's why. We know human nature. If you don't, you just continue to slip further and further and further away. And here's what happens in our community. When that happens, Christians, hear me. When we begin to slip away from God, and we're unwilling to confess, we're unwilling to be honest, we're unwilling to be transparent, we do this. We buckle down, 
We bring up our religious laurels and say, but I did this, I did this, and I did this. And what continues to happen is we put up this front, religious front, and we just continue to drift away further and further and further until we get so far away we're just too embarrassed. We're too embarrassed to come through the doors of the church. I, I can write a book and I can put names in the book just since I've been pastor of these type of people. And it's like that when they walk through the doors, I'm going to condemn them. And they're so afraid. But why? There's never anyone has ever walked through those doors that I haven't seen in a long time that I'm like, no, I'm just like you, like any of us. We're welcoming. We want to see these people. Slip away, we're embarrassed. What do we do? We slip out the back door. Sometimes it's years, years before these people resurface. This message, if you didn't know about it, is all about commitment. Identifying with Jesus or identifying with, with Christian, Christianity is not a commitment. And that's what I'm challenging you to do, to commit yourself to Christ. Make a commitment to Jesus. Jesus said this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.